Hello and welcome back to another discussion on this channel. Today we're going to be talking all things Dostoevsky, the God-Man, Man-God and the problem of Kirillov. Let's start off with discussing why I'm talking about the Man-God and the God-Man and why I think that this is the best way to start off my discussion on the problem of Kirillov. As alluded to in my previous video where I gave a soliloquy of what Kirillov says in the book Demons in Dostoevsky, today I am going to be while talking more about the man-god, a concept which is perhaps at the very core of Nietzsche's and Dostoevsky's philosophy. This is once again the idea which is said by Dostoevsky, or through his interlocutor Kirillov, where he says, if there is no god, then I am god. And what Nietzsche says in The Gay Science, where he says, if God is dead, must we not ourselves become gods to be, appear worthy of it? So we see two fundamental ideas or concepts in front of us. And today in this discussion, I'm going to talk about the concept of the man-god and also discuss about how its opposite, the god-man, interacts with it and how these two ideas interact together. So why do I think the man-god is a very important concept? Well, the reason why I think it's a very important thing to understand is because the man-god is seen as the solution to atheism. And this is what, what Nietzsche basically says in the parable of the madman in the gay science. He says, well, God is dead. Society has rejected, athe well, has rejected theism. The belief in God has become untenable. Where can man go? It is not simple enough or it's not sufficient to just say, I'm going to maintain my values from theism, yet just call myself an atheist. What Nietzsche is saying is, if you've gotten rid of God, you also have to live with the consequences of that. You also have to get rid of your values that you got from theism and create your new values, and through creating your values, become God. And that's a theme which you also see in Kirillov in Dostoevsky. He says, well, the death of God is like a poor man who... It inherits a rich or a grand inheritance. And what he's saying is that, well, the death of God has left a massive gap for humans to fill. That's a great inheritance. If we're just going to continue by being acting as if God exists or acting out a Christian world, even though we we reject God, what we see here is that it's we're like a poor man who has inheritance, but is not appreciating it and just continues living as if he's still very poor, even though he has a great inheritance. What they're both saying is that if God is dead, we must fill up that gap by becoming the man-god. So the first thoughts that you might have when you're reading this, or the first thoughts that I had when I was reading this, is the same thoughts that Pyotr Stepanovich, and I probably butchered the name, but that's the thoughts of Stepanovich when he, when he reads the, when he hears about Kirillov's idea about becoming God, he's like, well, I don't really understand that. How could you become God? And and this is what Kirillov says, and and I think there's a, a good way to illustrate it later, and I'll use an uh, illustration or analogy later, but I think a good way to picture it is that what does a God mean? And he says, well, the old God, or at least some old conceptions of God, is fear of death, and it's and it's the human embodiment, or it's a human restriction, which which the outside world or society imposes on humans. It's that fear of death, it's a fear of the surroundings, a fear of future, which is somewhat embodied or expressed through God. We are afraid of what may happen to us, and therefore we impose some values on ourselves and attribute or attribute that to God, and that's kind of like the old God, according to Kirillov. And he says, well, 
that is the old God, well, then what is the new God? The new God, if the old God is based on values and on based on morals and meanings, the new God must also be based on morals, meanings, and purpose. And that new God has to be summarized by an attribute, and that att attribute, according to Kirillov, is self-will. He says, well, the new attribute, or my new attribute of godhood, is self-will, in the sense that, well, the old God is was is like a powerful or it, it provides values and and that's best presented by jesus when he says well i am the way the truth and the life the way imp implies meaning the truth implies well we're we're moving towards a certain goal which is the truth and the life there is purpose there's there's reason to live jesus provides all these three things and what dostoevsky is saying is that the new god must also provide these three things and and Nietzsche perhaps presents this in a more deeper, or at least in a more explicit way, while while Dostoevsky just calls it self-will and has a more abstract thought or abstract representation of it. We see Nietzsche developing it throughout his later works, in from Beyond Good and Evil to The Will to Power to the Ge Genealogy of Morals. We see that Nietzsche is saying, "Well, our act or how we are or how we ought to become God is via the act of self-will and." And what does the act of self-will mean? Well, the act of self-will can essentially be summarized via self-creation, the creation of values, the creation of morals, the creation of purpose, and in some sense, even the creation of truth. Because if you look at some of the scholarly work on it, uh, like Nietzsche's critique on truth, I'll put a link to that in the description below, what we do see is that one of the main approaches to life that Nietzsche takes is more of a pragmatic approach to life instead of a truth approach to life. And that's something that I think he gets a lot from his evolutionary or his his passion or interest into evolution. Nietzsche enjoyed the idea of evolution. We don't really know whether he was more into the Darwinian idea or the Lamarckism idea, but he does believe in some sense of survival of the fittest and the development of society based on pragmatism. And and with that in mind, he's saying, well, why not untruth? And and he's basically saying, well, man should create his own meanings. Man should create his own values. And and by creating their own values, they become God. And and it's very easy to think about that and say, well, how could you possibly become omnipotent, omniscient by creating your own values? And that's not, I don't think, what Nietzsche or Dostoevsky are talking about. Their idea of the man-god isn't based on power, but based on their attributes. And what I mean by that is, it's, and I think that's why I say the analogy is the best way to express it, because I can't think of the best words, or just not coming to my mind, I've thought about it for the past week or so, but I couldn't think of the best ways to write it out apart from analogy, and I think, well, think about Zeus, these gods, and lowercase g gods, and the Superman, you may have, well, you may have, I don't know, some really powerful extra stress, extraterrestrial life, perhaps you have some really powerful alien who could throw lightning bolts at the same level as Zeus. And while someone who believes in Zeus would be seen as a theist, a polytheist, someone who believes in the extraterrestrial life would not be seen as a polytheist. They're accepting the they're accepting the physical world. And I, and this turns to I think the discussion between the abstract, the well, the physical world, the objective world, and the narrative world. It's it's the idea that while Zeus and I'll just call it Superman for the sake of discussion, while Zeus and Superman share the similar objective world in the sense that they have the same power, they have the same attributes, Zeus is a god, whereas the Superman is not a god, 
because of the narrative world, Zeus implies or brings along a baggage of morals, of duties and, of, and obligations, whereas Superman does not bring along those obligations or ideas as well. And that's what I think separates why we call people who believe in aliens just you can have an atheist who believes in aliens, but you can't have an atheist which believes in Zeus. I think that's a separation. One believes in the narrative mixed with the objective as well when it, it comes to that personhood of Zeus, whereas the other one, he, he believes in the objective, but he doesn't believe in the baggage relating. And I think there's a separation there. And I think that separation is the narrative world which makes something God instead of instead of some personal physical properties. And I think that's what Nietzsche and Dostoevsky are both trying to present in their works. So what can we conclude about this? Well, I think what we can see is that in order for man to become God, it's not like man has to intrinsically become this omnipotent, omniscient being. What man has to do is to, well, in some ways, man has to empower themselves in the sense that, well, man has to man has to create their own values and rise above the herd and separate themselves from the herd. And I'll discuss this in another video, like what, what does the Ubermensch mean and, and how do you achieve that or where are you meant to go with the Ubermensch? And it's really tied into this discussion on the man-god. But I think, well, we see that it is at the bare minimum, and I wouldn't go into too much discussion here because I think it's just a really big topic. But I think at the bare minimum, we see that this idea of the man-god is that you have to separate yourself from society and like Zarathustra, and thus spoke Zarathustra, erect yourself on a mountain and and really rise up above the masses. And that's the idea of the man-god. Instead of, instead of accepting values, you create values. And it's that creation of values which I think is very integral and very important for the man-god to develop and to strive. So I think that's the idea about the man-god and what the man-god is. And what... Dostoevsky says is that, well, this creation of values, yes, you can do that, but it leads to destruction. And by creating your own values, you some you somehow would destroy yourself. And I think that's very true as well. Man is not made to create their own values to the sense of the freedom that that a man god would have, in the sense that, well, well, we've bound this freedom becomes boundless tyranny, and that's that's essentially the discussion that in Demons as well, and you see I'm quoting Demons a lot, it's because Demons is a very profound and insightful book here, and, and if you want to understand more about this concept, I'll recommend you to read Demons and Beyond Good and Evil, two books which I'll put in the links below, because it talks a lot about the man-god and the god-man idea, and, and it's essentially you see that when man is given total freedom, he he destroys himself in the sense that he gives himself so much power and imposes that power on others, that it just leads to self-destruction, and and Dostoevsky gives those examples. He gives Raskolnikov who kills someone because because there is no morals, and then is crushed by his conscience. Then you have then you have Kirillov who kills himself out of self-will to become God to create his own values, and and that also is is disastrous. And and you have Ivan and Smerdyakov, kind of the pair there. One proclaims the atheism on a philosophical level, and Smerdyakov lives out the atheism on the philosophical level and, and goes on and kills someone. And as a result of that action, well, Smerdyakov then kills the father, and, and the guilt is truly on Ivan, because he's the one who, well, led or suggested or put the idea into Smerdyakov's mind. And, and you have that mix there as well in the Brothers Karamazov. And, and I think that's kind of the problems of atheism and the problems of Kirillov. And it's not to say here that 
an atheist would kill someone. I think that's a complete misreading of the text. What it is, what I am saying, however, is that these things, these problems, are not wrong on atheism because they have indeed followed the atheism and created their own morals, and there is nothing wrong about that. So, with that in mind, I think we can realize that the man god, while possible, it ultimately leads to self destruction. So what is the solution to that? And Dostoevsky says that is found in the God-man, that is Christ. In The Idiot, he says, well, beauty will save the world. And it's a very abstract phrase. Well, what is that beauty? What is that perfection? And, and there's lots of interpretation and a lot of ideas surrounding it. But I think one of the ways to read it is, well, Christ would save the world. And to, and to Dostoevsky, you do see that, that he views Christ as something which is very beautiful. And, and he says, well, Christ is so beautiful, so profound, so... so so confident and, and so manly and that's what he talks about Christ so it's something which is beautiful and he says well that beauty will save the world it's through understanding that beauty which and the salvation which comes through Christ which will ultimately save the world from the man God. Hello and thank you for tuning into this podcast Dostoyevsky and us. I hope you've enjoyed this listen and if you have make sure to give us a support by subscribing or following us if you want more information or details, then make sure to like and subscribe or go check out my YouTube channel where I talk all things Dostoevsky, philosophy, Christianity. The channel's called Apologetics for All, and I hope you have a great one. Like always, stay safe, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening, and God bless.